Well, good morning. I hope everyone is doing well. I'm sure like uh, many of you, I was uh, sitting by eagerly watching the Weather Channel, watching the news as we were watching a hurricane slash tropical storm, whatever you call this, uh, move along the Space Coast, wondering if it would hit here. Now, I'm going to go ahead and confess to you, I am not a native Floridian. This is only my second year of, of being allowed to be called a Floridian. I'm not even sure that qualifies me as a Floridian yet. Um, I don't know what the age, what's the age of accountability to become a Floridian? Do you have to be like 10 years, 7 years, 20 years? Uh, Dickie, I'm looking at you, brother. Help me out. What do you think? Five, seven? Let's go with seven. Anyway, all I know is this. I was eagerly watching the weather, and I realized I was the only one. And so, uh, man, you people, y'all have got some nerve. I'm, I'm impressed. So uh, this is a new thing. I'm still here two years, still trying to acclimate myself to the weather and uh, when you should panic and, and when you should inflate the life raft and, and when you should be prepared. And so uh, I took my cues from uh, several of the men I was speaking with last night uh, via a Zoom conversation. They looked calm as they prepared for Sunday school and so uh, for their lesson. So I figured I might as well look calm as well. But either way, here we are by God's grace. I am thankful that we are here, thankful that we are gathered together today. Now, uh, if you have been with us over the past couple weeks, you know exactly where we are, but if not, welcome. Uh, we are back in our study through uh, Titus. This is a study that we have titled the Letters from the Pastor. And so what we're hopefully going to do is we're going to continue to walk through Titus together, and then we're going to back it up and go back to First and Second Timothy, because we're going to see really Paul laying down some foundational truth uh, for Titus and for Timothy and how they are to lead the church and help govern the church. So here in Titus, where we are, we're actually starting to see, really we're starting to see Paul begin to tackle many of the issues that Titus and the churches of Crete were really beginning to face and to contend with on a daily basis. Now, um, as we look at this text today, my hope and prayer is that we would actually see that the gospel calls those of us within the church to pursue God's assignment of godliness within the biblical roles that God has given to each one of us. Now, this is actually important for us to look at today. You see, our society currently is drowning in gender confusion. Our gender lines have now been blurred so much so to the point where we no longer understand uh, what it means for a man to be a man and what it means for a woman to be a woman. In fact, it is obvious to, to us today that whether it be media or other strategic systems or places of influence, these places now want to neutralize the gender distinctions and uh, differences that God has hardwired into us dating all the way back to creation in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 through 27. And so the reality for us is this as a church. The church is not immune to this particular cadence or this particular thought. In fact, more and more today, we are seeing churches that are now being shaped by secular culture and secular thought as opposed to being shaped by the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches us. And therefore, we see churches using phrases like this. As society goes, so goes the church. 
Now, historically speaking, that wasn't the case. In fact, it used to be the other way around, where it was the church leading in how the society ought to be and become. But yet, in this particular time in our culture, in this particular time in our society, never has a text been more desperately needed than the one that we are going to study today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn with me to Titus chapter 2. And what we're hopefully going to see today in our text is God's role for men and God's role for women within the church. And so in looking at Paul's words here, in Titus chapter 2, he is actually going to outline God's expectations for the different groups that are represented within our churches. And then he will define godly living, according to verse 1, that accords with sound doctrine. So as we look at these verses, we can actually sum these verses up in one simple word, discipleship. You see, older men, as we will see today, are called to disciple younger men. Older women, as we will see in our text today, are called to disciple younger women. And so for Paul, The gospel in discipleship is to produce godliness in the lives of those within the church, whether you are old or whether you are young or whether you are male and or female. Discipleship has to be key to what we do as a church. So again, I would invite you to turn with me now to Titus chapter 2, and we are going to begin reading in verse 1. And once you have found your place in Titus 2, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, these are Paul's words to Titus. In Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Let's pray together for a moment. Father God, we come before you right now. And Lord, as we open your word today, as we open your truth, Father, we pray that in the next few moments that we have together, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, as we study Titus 2, verses 1 through 8, help us to not only see more of you, but God, help us to understand the call that you have placed upon each one of us. Father, whether we are older men or younger men, older women or younger women, 
Father, you have called each of us to a specific role. And so, Father, as we look further into this text, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and our minds for your truth, that you'd be glorified as we seek to better understand you, and through it all, may we see you and know you better. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. And Father, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, what we are about to see and get into here is Paul is actually about to teach Titus and teach us today that we are all called to discipleship. We are all called to pursue godliness through our biblical roles within the church. And so we're going to take a look at four different types of people that are within our churches. And honestly, these four different people are represented within our church today. So hopefully in this message, there's a little something for everyone that we can collectively learn together. Now, the first uh, group we're going to address is this. We need to see the biblical role of older men. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Now, Paul begins by calling Titus and all who follow to teach what accords with sound doctrine. So he begins with Titus and the elders here, but also the older men within the church who, unlike the false teachers previously mentioned, these men should pursue a path of sound teaching and gospel living that pleases God and therefore provides a pattern of life for other younger men to follow. Now we get into verse 1 and we see that godly men are called to teach. Notice the phrase here, but as for you. You see, Paul is emphatic here in the original language. What Paul is trying to do here is show a sharp contrast between the false teachers that have become, uh, that have grown in number and the expectation of Titus and the older men. So Paul had just told us what to look for in the false teachers, and now he's changing it to show us as older men, as elders and teachers, who we are to be. We then see the verb teach, which is actually written in the Greek in the present imperative. Now this would have been a word of command instructing Titus that his primary role is to teach or to instruct the church. So for us as teachers, we are to teach things that are proper and fitting with sound doctrine. We are to teach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach the truth that only comes from the Word of God. You see, teachers need to teach the living blood of Jesus Christ and not some sort of watered-down Kool-Aid that has been either formed by society or made up based upon our own opinions. You see, as teachers in the church, we are to teach what is hard when it comes from the Word of God. From there, we get into verse 2, and we begin to see the qualities that Paul looks for in the older men of the church. 
He says that these older men are called to be self-controlled and sober. They are to be temperate and level-headed, wise in their decision-making, and careful in making judgments. Now, it is, uh, these older men are also clear in what really matters and then decisive in making godly choices. You see, an older man in the church is to be a man with right priorities that are founded upon the Word of God. So if the older men had a mantra or a motto within the church, it would be this. All that matters in life is pleasing God. We see that Paul goes on to describe these men. He says they are to be men who are dignified. In other words, they are to be men worthy of respect. They are to pursue what is noble, what is morally valuable, and what is worthy. In fact, for a man to be dignified, according to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, a dignified man was actually a character trait that was expected even among the deacons. A dignified man in the church is a man who takes no delight in vulgarity, in inappropriate humor, or in anything that is suspect, questionable, or clearly out of bounds with the Word of God. You see, an older man who is dignified is to be a man who is respected because of the purity and integrity within his life and not simply because of how long he has been a member or how long he has served in particular ministries. Paul then goes on from there and says older men are to be self-controlled. Now this, actual, this, this quality of self-control actually appears in each of the biblical roles that we're going to talk about this morning. We see that an older man is to keep his passions under control. He is to be self-disciplined and not careless or foolish with his words or behavior. And that behavior today also includes what he says and what he does on social media. You see, a man who is self-controlled is a man who abides by Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when it says that he is to refuse to be conformed to the world, but who is then transformed daily by a renewed mind that is bathed in Scripture. You see, an older man in the church is to be sound in faith. He is to be healthy in his confidence in the Word of God. And he is to trust in the Lord always. Uh, An older man who is sound in his faith has a faith that is rooted daily, uh, rooted in the daily walk with God and therefore has immersed himself daily within the scriptures. In other words, an older man is to know what he believes, know why it is he believes it, and then he knows in whom he believes. An older man follows the words of John McDuff when he says, even when I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. You see, that should be the same words of an older man when speaking of his faith and relationship with God. Paul goes from there and says older men are to be loving. Now, the word loving here, Paul actually uses in the general sense And so for an older man, he is to be a man who loves God supremely, loves fellow believers genuinely, and loves lost people fervently. 
He is a man who looks to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8 as the standard to what we should strive for every day when it comes to love. Paul goes from there and says, not only is this man to be loving, but he is also to be steadfast. In other words, older men are called to be patient. Older men are to endure testing. They are to be able to work through hardship and then accept disappointment, not giving up under pressure or giving up under adversity. You see, older men in the church do not lose heart. Older men do not throw in the towel or simply drop out of the race. Rather, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, an older man is to run the race with endurance, fixing his eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of his faith. You see, an older man who is pursuing godliness will stay in. He will stay engaged. Even when change is upon him, he will lovingly ask questions and seek to grow, even when things begin to look different both in our culture as well as our church. You see, an older man knows how to run the race that is before him. Now it's at this point we need to ask the question, as an older man, and maybe I need to define older men. Now, clearly, the word here is interchangeable. This could refer to the elder. This could refer to older men. Now, what I love is many of our founding fathers actually referred to older men as men who were 50 and older. So if that's you and you just heard these qualifications, then here's the question for you this morning. As older men, as you look through this list that Paul has now given to Titus, this description of older men, does this describe you? You see, as older men in the church, we need to do some self-reflection upon who we are, and who God has called us to be. Now, Paul's not done here with Titus. You see, he moves on from there into verse 3, and he then gives us the biblical role of older women. Now, again, our fathers, uh, founding fathers of faith would define older women as women who were 50 and older. And so here's what we learn. We learn that Paul charges the older women to pursue God's assignment of godliness. Now, notice this. As we look around our churches today, here's the question or, or that we need to ask ourselves. It actually comes from Elizabeth Elliot, and I think we would all be wise to heed her words when she asked the following question. Where are the godly older women who are to teach young mothers how to manage their children and their homes? In other words, Elizabeth Elliot would ask, where are the women of Titus 2? Now we come back to our text, and you get into verse 3, and we see Paul is actually describing the older woman who is pursuing godliness. 
You see, Paul says of her that she is to be reverent in her behavior. Now, this actual phrase is actually also a task that is parallel to what the older men are called to as well. Literally, this translates to temple fitting or showing appropriate behavior in worship. So for the godly older woman in both life, behavior, and in worship, they live in such a way that is befitting a woman of godly character. In other words, an older woman reflects the character of the Lord in whom she loves and lives for. We see next that older women are to be truthful. In other words, they are not to be slanderers or not to make false or unfounded accusations. Now, the Greek word that's actually used here is the word diabolos, which is actually where we get our English word for devil. Now, this word is actually used 34 times within the New Testament. So, in terms of an older woman, an older woman should not be like the devil in her speech, picking up gossip and then spreading it abroad. Rather, she is to have control over her tongue. It's like we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, when it says this, a woman will speak truth, and then she will speak that truth in love. We then see that older women are to be level-headed. Now, Paul actually uses the phrase that they are not to be slaves to much wine. In other words, wine should not be something that dominates or controls her. And so when looking at this passage, we can answer, yes, Paul is actually speaking of alcoholism here or heavy drinking, if you will. Now, considering that Titus was on the island of Crete, once you understand more about the Cretans, you begin to understand what Paul was talking about here. You see, Paul knew that on Crete, alcoholism and heavy drinking was actually viewed as a virtue. And so it's no wonder why Paul would now add this quality to what should be describing an older woman within the church. You see, the bottom line is this. Godly women are to control their tongues as well as their appetites. But here's the truth. The same principle applies to godly men as well. We then see that Paul calls older women to to teach what is good. Now, for Paul here, his focus is actually on women teaching women in a more informal, one-on-one, small group instruction that enables older women to then invest in younger women. In other words, this is what we call mentoring. You see, younger women need role modeling. Younger women need teaching, they need discipling, they need insight, they need practical wisdom that only older women can provide. Now please hear me on this. I'm not saying this to you because I'm looking around at our younger women making, taking inventory of what I believe they need. No, this comes straight from Scripture according to verse 3, and then that is then taken to the younger women, and the question is then asked of them, what do you need? And you know what's been most interesting to me? Many of these young women who have come and they've, they've joined our church and become part of the church, the reason why they have come is because they see older women and they are looking forward to being mentored by the older women. You see, 
as older women in the church, and again, the same can be said for older men, we have been called to pass on a legacy that will reproduce itself for generations to come. You see, the man may be the spiritual leader of the home according to the Word of God, but a godly home will orbit around a godly wife and mother. And so we have to ask our question today of our older women. Where are the older women who are teaching the younger women? Instead of being focused on what was, how are we preparing younger women to handle what is coming according to the word of God? Paul moves from verse 3 into verses 4 and 5, and he now gets into the biblical role of young women. Now, again, our forefathers would argue that these are the women who are 49 and younger. And he says, um, right before getting into these verses, Paul moves from telling the older women to teach what is good. And so what we're about to see in the following verses is what Paul believed was good and God-honoring for younger women. He starts by telling them to love their husbands. In other words, younger women are encouraged and instructed to love their husbands. You see, a woman's first commitment under the lordship of Jesus Christ was to love her husband. Now, of course, this is with the understanding that the husband is biblically leading well and not breaking covenant with his wife. You see, the way a couple loves each other will model for their children the way they should love their future spouse. Now, I often tell folks when I'm doing marriage counseling this simple phrase. Don't use the phrase falling in love because here's the problem with falling in love. As quickly as you fell in love, you can just as quickly fall out of love. Rather, what I love to hear couples say is this. I'd much rather them say, learn to love. We are learning to love one another. And so we should learn to love our spouse because here is the reality. There are days where we are going to wake up next to our spouse and we are going to look at them with their nasty hair and their smelly breath and realize I am not sure in this moment that I can love you. Now, that's actually what the women think about their men, so let's not confuse that. I know no men would ever say that about their women. <laughs> Thank you, brother. But you see, here's the reality. Learning to love someone, it's not what Hollywood makes it out to be. It's not always glamorous. It doesn't always end like a Hallmark Christmas movie. There are days where we have to learn to love each other again and again and again, and we have to fight for that love because of the covenant we made to one another and because of the covenant we made before God. You see, think about it this way. What a great thing it is for our sons 
And what a great thing it is for our daughters to learn how to love their future spouses by watching how their moms and dads love one another. Paul goes on from there and says, not only are you to love your husband, younger women, but you are also to love your children. Now, what he's speaking of here is a specific lifestyle or plan of action that will ultimately cultivate in a young woman's children both godly character and affection. In other words, younger women are called upon to love their children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, recognizing that we are only stewards of the time that God has given us with our children. Yet you see, for younger women, they always have their eye on their need for Jesus Christ. And when they speak to their children, they speak to them with grace, mercy, and wisdom. Paul then calls younger women from there to be self-controlled. Again, this is the same phrase we've already seen twice before. So younger women are to practice and exercise common sense as well as good judgment. Now, the best way to actually learn this particular characteristic is to do so up close to someone who is actually living it. So younger women will actually best learn to exercise balance and wisdom in their lives as they observe the lives of older, mature, God-honoring women. Again, we see the need for discipleship. Paul's not done here, though. He moves on from there and says that younger women are to be pure. In other words, their moral life is to be above reproach. They are to have the reputation as a one-man woman, faithful to her vows and faithful to her husband, recognizing that her goal is for her husband to trust her all to the glory of God. Paul moves from there and he speaks that a woman should be working at home. Now, before anybody throws a brick at me, let me explain this phrase to you. Paul is not directly stating here that a woman should not work. However, there are some instances where women working is good and necessary, both for her kids and also for her family, and I imagine at times for her sanity. However, when Paul speaks of working at home, he is saying that the home should be the primary base of operation. That for the younger woman, her home should be the focus of her attention. So you see, a younger woman is a diligent homemaker, similar to what we see in Proverbs chapter 31 when it says that she is not lazy, nor is she a busybody, nor is she distracted by outside pursuits or responsibilities um, that take her focus away from the home. Rather, for the younger woman, her focus is the home. Her focus is her kids, knowing that their spiritual growth is the primary focus of her life. A younger woman is then called to be kind. In other words, she is called to be like Jesus. She is called to be gentle. She is called to be considerate and gracious and merciful. Paul then calls younger women to be submissive to their own husband. Now, submission here, to define it if I could, is yielding oneself to the will of the leadership and direction of another. 
It's more of an attitude, if you will, than it is an action. But now pay attention here, because there is no inferiority in submissiveness. Rather, when it comes to submission, we see that there is actually beauty within the order. Now, we cannot give a better example of submission than the Trinity itself. You see, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equally God, and yet for the purpose of redemption, the Son submits His assignment to the will of the Father. But now pay attention to what Paul says. Notice that younger women are called only to submit to her husband and not to every man. You see, this charge here is specific. So, unless the husband asks his wife to do something unbiblical, illegal, immoral, or unethical, the younger woman is to follow the leadership of the man, her husband. So now we have to ask our question of our younger women. Younger women... Who are you looking to for leadership? How are you leading in your home well? How are you pointing your family to the understanding of Jesus Christ? How are you loving and encouraging your husband well? Maybe you're here today and you, you're not married and you're single and you say, well, I don't have a husband to encourage or a husband to support. Well, okay, how are you praying for the families around you? Better yet, how are you praying for your future spouse? Are you praying for them to lead well? Are you praying for yourself that you would encourage and support well? Now, I love this because before we get done, Paul actually closes out in verses 6 through 8 by speaking to the younger men. Now, i got to tell you, I think it was intentional for Paul to actually bookend this whole conversation about men and women in the church by starting with the older men, but then ending with the younger men. You see, men are held to a great accountability. Men are held to a great responsibility. Men are to love and to serve faithfully. And so what Paul now does is he now turns his attention to these younger men, younger men who need stronger and healthy older men leading them. And so Paul recognizes again the need for godly mentoring. And so Paul again instructs the younger men in a pattern of discipleship that would promote both godly character but also conviction and commitment. And so for younger men, he starts with this phrase, younger men are to be self-controlled. Again, they are to control their lives, their thoughts, and their passions. Younger men look to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and they take it to heart when it says, keep your heart with all vig- vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. In other words, younger men need to actively engage in the battle for the mind, knowing that the younger man must control and discipline his thoughts and his thought life if he is to win the battles within the Christian life. Younger men are to be models of good works. Now, the word model here literally means type. 
So younger men are called to be a type or a mold, if you will, in which others will notice and they will begin to bear a likeness to him because of his leadership. So for younger men, you are called to be the type of man that others can emulate. It's like what John Chrysostom says when he says, let the luster of your life be a common school of instruction, a pattern of virtue of all. He then goes on to say that younger men are to be sound in teaching. In other words, younger men are not to be fooled by false teachers. Younger men are not to be fooled by false doctrines. Rather, they are called upon uh, to live pure lives, being pure of motive and authentic when teaching and, yes, even when leading. So for a young man, content and character go together and must complement each other if the truth is to be taught without compromise and without corruption. You see, younger men are also to be sound in their speech. In other words, they are to speak with healthy talk. They are to speak with integrity of word and action. This pure word that comes from their lives is a pure vessel that is not subject to legitimate condemnation or criticism. Younger men are those who attempt to criticize, or excuse me, there will be those who will attempt to criticize godly younger men and will try to shame them, but because of the, the integrity and the authenticity of the younger man, these who come to criticize will eventually shame themselves and their accusations will be found without merit. You see, as Christian men, as younger godly men pursuing godliness, younger men will go through a great deal of ridicule. Sadly, many people will not come to Jesus Christ simply because of the messenger or the lack of integrity within the messenger as opposed to the message. So for Paul in speaking to younger men, Young men are to be men of integrity. They are to be men of soundness, that if people refuse to come to Christ, it will be because of the message that they are saying no to as opposed to the messenger. So you see, as younger men in the room, younger men, you need to answer the following questions. Who is speaking into our lives? How are you as younger men leading and living a life of sound doctrine? How are you leading and living a life of sound speech? And then you need to be able to answer the following question. Are you leading and living a life of integrity? You see, as we can see in Paul's words, we are called to pursue godliness. And each one of us has a part to play. Whether you're an older man, an older woman, a younger woman, or a younger man, God has given each of us a specific part. You see, men and women are all created in the image of God. And yet each of us, man and woman, older or younger, each of us have a different role to play, both within the home, but also within the church as ordained by God. So in a lost world, 
where gender distinctions have been blurred and they have become confused. We, as believers in Christ, need to be people of the Word of God, pointing others to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as men and women of the church, men and women pursuing godliness, may we be a people who help the hurting. And yet at the same time, may we realize our own need for mentoring and our call to be a mentor. You see, all of us need discipleship. It doesn't matter what our age is. You see, in discipleship, in our pursuit of godliness, may we be about the business of doing the work of God that he has created us and saved us to do. It is his work, it is his way, and it is always for his glory. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity again that we've had to be here, to be in this place, and to worship you. Father, I pray for each of our men and our women here today. God, as we look back over Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, help us to all see the calling that you've placed upon our lives. May we look to the characteristics laid out by Paul here to Titus and to the church. And Father, in the next few moments that we have together, may we search our own hearts. May we praise you in areas where we're doing well. But Father, humble us and convict us in areas where we need to be challenged. Father, we pray that as believers in you, followers of Jesus Christ, Lord, in every day, may we pursue godliness. And with that, may we be the ones who set the example for others to follow, both within our church, but also within our communities and within this world. God, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, we thank you for the roles that you've given to us. Thank you for the calling that you've placed upon each one of us. And Father, I pray that in all that we say and do, may it bring glory to your name and your name alone. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.